Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. Hi guys, Todd Helms here with another episode of Eastman's Wingman Podcast. And today I have special guest Matthew Cagle from Righam Wright. Matthew is the founder and owner, CEO of Righam Wright. Have I got that right, Matthew? You got it. <laughs> Man, thanks for thanks for being on that. Forklift driver, truck unloader, <laughs> pro staff manager. We do it all around here. Do it Matthew. all, yes, sir. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. Small comp, small business, getting it done every single day. Take you do what you got to do. I appreciate you being on, man. Thank you. Absolutely. So you're down in North Carolina, right? That's right. Right on All the right. coast. Right on the coast. In fact, you had said right before we got on that uh, you'd been surfing all morning long. Yeah, this time of year is, uh, you know, falls kicking in and everybody's talking about bird hunting, but this is also hurricane season. And so we get a lot of storms out in the Atlantic and when the surf is really good this time of year. So this morning, uh, a couple of buddies and I charged it at first light and surfed for a few hours and came to, came to work. So (laughs) that sounds awesome, man. Good for you. Way to get it done before work. I tell you what, that's cool. That's not something we can do here in Wyoming. That not even, not even remotely (laughs) close. (laughs) No, but you can snow ski though. That's yeah. Good snow skiing. Yep. Yeah, that we can, that we can, but yeah, I think we get enough wind to probably surf, but we just don't have enough water to pull it off. <laughs> That's right. No, yeah, my daughter spent the summer out in uh, Wyoming, and she's talking about, she said, it's just as windy out there as it is at home. So oh, it's yeah. windy where we live on the coast, but she was surprised it blew every day out there. Where was she? So she was in uh, Casper. Yeah. Oh, Casper is yeah. one of the windiest parts of the state. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's. It's kind of funny, you know, when the when the wind stops blowing in Casper, people fall over. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh yeah, goodness, she's, uh, she's in college in um, animal uh, animal science program. She's going to go into vet school, so she was out there getting some large animal experience and worked for a vet and did some brandings and just kind of getting some of that ag uh, those ag hours and large animal hours under her belt. So when she gets ready to apply for vet school, she got that dialed in. She loved it. Said it was beautiful out there. So well, good, good. Yeah, that's good for her. Waited. That's that's really cool that she took the bull by the horns, as so to speak, and came so far from home and got some stuff done. That's yep. awesome. Absolutely. That's, awesome. that's a pretty good place to duck hunt in its own right too. The North Platte River goes through Casper, and uh, that's definitely one of the one of the places in Wyoming that is a pretty good pretty good spot for waterfowl lots of geese and ducks hang out down there and spend a lot of winter on that river that's kind of that's kind of what we face that's kind of what we face out here is we don't have a lot of resident birds but we get a lot of birds that winter on the on the river systems so wow that's cool yeah yeah so rigam right man how did you come up with the brainchild how did you come up with that with that idea for your company i mean you guys make a ton of awesome products. Like I said, everything from dog vests to blind bags, gun cases, your your decoy rigging 
is probably what I became familiar with years ago. And man alive, you guys have just seemed like you expand every single year. But how did you get started in that? Yeah, so I, I guess my background is just I'm a civil engineering major. So I've always just kind of had that mind for designing stuff and, you know, worked in construction. always just thinking about ways to make things better. And whenever I saw a little gadget that I thought could be improved, I kind of tinkered around in the shop and, and we just, you know, launched with the decoy anchors and jerk rigs and some other rigging stuff. And, um, you know, it was just, it was intentional, but it was also kind of accidental that we got to where we're at. I mean, we, you know, had a, had some ideas I kind of floated out there and the decoy anchors kind of stuck and stuck and we met you know the duck commander they were just a big help for us when we got started just getting that kind of instant recognition and credibility from such a big name back then and sure. um, you know they they really helped helped us I mean pick up the phone and make a call to a buyer and say, Hey, this guy's got something you need to take a look at, you know, and when Phil Robertson calls or, you know, Jace Robertson calls or Willie Robertson calls people. listen. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we went from having basically a little local uh, store that carried our rigging stuff. And then we got another big, bigger account. And then it was like instantly we were kind of everywhere. Um, we just scaled up real fast and got in, you know, Cabela's and Bass Pro and Gander Mountain and Sportsman's Warehouse real quick. So, um, it was quite a ride there for a while, but then, you know, and we've just kept adding products and we got into the soft good stuff just cause there wasn't a decoy bag that worked with our decoy rigs. So we designed a decoy bag that works with our decoy rigs. And I was like, well, shoot, you know, I'm kind of figuring out this cut and sew business and we started adding soft goods and just snowballed. So here we are. <laughs> oh, good for you. That's incredible how things, like you said, snowball. That's incredible how one thing leads to another. And yeah, you guys, it seemed like kind of, I want overnight success is not probably the correct term, but you guys definitely rode a tidal wave. Getting back to your surfing analogy, you rode a big wave you know, into the space and kind of shook things up. Um, like I said, I've been, I've been running those rigs since way before we started. I've been running your decoy rigs since way before we started wingmen and just kind of added to what I have here and there. And honestly, what you said about your decoy bag, I've got, I bought one of the tanker XLs quite a while ago because so much of what we do is, there's snow on the ground and we're hauling stuff in and out with us every single day. And I needed to be able to haul two dozen decoys that were, that were Texas rigged with, with, you know, your, with your rigs, but I had no good way of doing it, you know, carrying them on your back. They were too heavy to carry very far, you know, in steep up and down terrain through brush. And I ended up, we use them, we use sleds a lot, big heavy duty plastic sleds a lot out here. And that one of your, your tanker XL fits my extra large jet sled like it was made for it. I mean, it fits yeah. right in that sled and I just dump stuff in it, close it if I can. If not, I'll throw a bungee or two over the top and go. Yeah, that's and a great bag. I mean, that was the one, you know, that was the one I sat there and I was like, well, shoot, this is how it needs to work. And 
and just came up with a design and of course we tweaked it and modified it and you know but we've got three sort of variations of that now um a small one and then a you know the tanker and um the long haul which is kind of it's got the backpack straps and waist yep. belt and all that so i've used that extensively too there's some places that we go that you're not going to take a sled you know it's it were for whatever reason the terrain is too up and down it's too steep you know you might be able to lower a sled down into some place but pulling it up out of there loaded with decoys in a you'd need a, a winch to get it up out of there some of the stuff we right. and you're just not going to do it so that yeah that other one works man just awesome but well, thank you that's that's cool to hear kind of you know Invent, I guess uh, necessity is the mother of all invention, you know, and you can looking at stuff from an engineering background and how can I make things better? How can I do this different? And I think I, you could see that with, so, with your stuff. Like I said, so much of it is, is just designed right and it works. And, and I appreciate that about what you guys do, but what is, how does Matthew Cagle get into duck hunting in the first place, in the waterfowling and hunting in the first place. So I'm looking around and you got a mule deer mount in the background, you got turkey fans <laughs> on the wall. And I mean, you're obviously, you don't just talk the talk. You're obviously, ah, look at that bull elk right there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's not my big one though. The big one's on the wall at the house. There you go. There you go. That's, I love it. Luckily, don't tell my wife. I don't want her to know. <laughs> Secret safe here, man. <laughs> I mean, what? How'd you get into hunting? Is it something you've done your whole life? Did your dad get you into it? I mean, what's what's your story? So interestingly, my dad does not hunt. My grandfather, my mother's father, was a just an absolutely avid outdoorsman, trapper, fisherman, did it all. And I mean, he made knives. He tinkered with guns. He was just an absolute all-round just woodsman, outdoorsman, everything. Ducks, turkey, deer, squirrels, everything. So he got me into hunting. Um, my dad's not an out, he's an outdoorsman, but he's when he's outside, he's turning wrenches. He's working on cars. He's a absolute, he can outwork me today. And he's, you know, 77 years old. So don't misunderstand me when I say he's not a hunter. He just wasn't what he did. Sure. But, but I give him so much credit for rig and right because this is everybody gets a kick out of this one. Because the fact that he wasn't a hunter, he didn't get why you need to go spend a bunch of money on all this stuff. You know, like what's wrong with that spark plug right there? And they've got some kite string over in the corner and tied up with a spark plug. And those are my eco anchors and they were horrible. And, you know, why you need a blind bag? You know, we got this old duffel bag over there. And I was like, well, this, this, you know, it's like lime green. That's not, it's not like dark green. Right. Right. Use, I mean, boots were terrible. I mean, I use a lot of my granddad's old hand-me-down stuff. I mean, and, it, and you know, my dad's solution to having boots that weren't waterproof was just, you know, slide a, a bread bag over your foot, you know, which just, you just sweat like crazy and your feet freeze off. So my dad really helped me like really crave good quality gear. And so, um, cause we just didn't have it when I was a kid. So I started, you know, when I turned 16, it was like, I was always hunting, hunting, fishing, all the time i got my license and it was like 
I'm going hunting. But, you know, during those high school days, my gear was pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really rough. So. Oh, that's that's perfect. That's perfect. I, I love I love to hear people's stories when they talk about, you know, how they got into it. And it's there's always some, it's like there's somebody that took them out, you know, like your grandpa took you out. But the fact that you give your dad so much credit for that in kind of a backhanded way, oh, it's yeah. just it's just hilarious. I mean, my grandfather was that way. It was like, what do you mean? You don't you don't need that here. Just use this. And same thing, the bread baggies in the boots and duct tape on waiters and i mean you name it you name it <laughs> so you're just jonesing for good gear by the time wow. you and by the time you can either have the wherewithal and the ability to make your own or buy stuff that is good you're like oh thank god you know i i think about some of the stuff we wear like the sitka stuff and and and, and your equipment and stuff just works I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. It just works. Right. And I think, man, I remember so many days struggling with stuff and bags. Br- I mean, how many mesh decoy bags did I shoulder with throw a bunch of goose decoys in, throw them over my shoulder and the straps ripped off. Right. Oh yeah. Right out of the box, you know, and it's like, this thing's brand new. So frustrating. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, so to have a decoy bag like like the Tanker XL or some of the other some the Gunslinger that you guys have, I mean they don't they just work. I just throw stuff in them and go, and I don't have to think about them. And I'm on my third season for that um, Bloodline Elite dog vest. Oh, good. Yeah. My and and my dog is not not easy on stuff, and I've done a little bit of stitching here and there. Well, my wife's done a little bit of stitching in the middle of season. You know, you have something that needs some repair, but that just happens. But, man, three seasons out of a dog vest is – I've never had that before. Yeah, dog vests take a beating. I mean, they, I don't care what you do. They're just going to take a beating. You know, I mean, you cross a barbed wire fence in your Sitka Hudson jacket, you're going to be real careful when you get <laughs> climbing through there, you know. But the dog, he's not thinking, whoa, I got my nice dog vest on. You know, I'll take this slow and easy. He's just charging it, you know. So they just take a beating. And I don't care. You know, the problem with dog vests is they have to be flexible. And right. you can't, I mean, you could make something so rigid and tough and durable, you know, on a Kevlar that's not going to tear, but it's, the dog can't breathe. You know, it's not going to be flexible. Right. So we, we've, we've tried to find some material that's durable and flexible and warm, and it's just, it's not going to fit tight against the dog like it needs to sleek and stuff. It's just a tough product. I mean, it just kind of right. is what it is right now. So, yeah. And it's, that's funny. You say that it being a tough product, you know, I've had lots of different vests throughout the years and some of them lasted longer than others, you know, whatever. But like you said, there's never, it never seems like there's that perfect one size fits every dog. Just right. Your right. vest happens to fit the dog I have now like it was made for him. You right. know, it's the, the way the vest is cut and the way he's built, perfect, perfect. All right. Um, other vests don't don't fit him that, that way, you know. And it's just funny how, like you said, it's trying to find that balance. My, my thing is with that dog vest, with those dog vests is, man, imagine what your dog's skin looks like without a dog vest. Yeah. If he tears that dog vest up to that point, Imagine what his skin underneath all that hair looks like. 
Oh yeah. You yeah, know, we've, and we've had people call in and say, "Hey, this vest saved my dog." You know, right. Big old gouge right through the chest or something where they jumped off of you know into some cypress knees or something and you know could have really been hurt bad yeah yeah well and we we use so many times for us out here we're hunting late in the year you know january february the water is the only reason it's not frozen is because it's moving right you know and so we're float we're hunting extreme extremely cold temps and with nasty brush we have this thing called russian olives out here that thorns are you know two three inches long and they're just hard on a dog and in and out of the water so those vests are like they're just lifesavers they keep the dog warm they give them an extra little bit of extra flotation and they keep those thorns and that barbed wire and like you said all that other stuff off of their hides and i just can't imagine the extra the extra miles and and well, probably the extra year, years that the dog vest ends up giving your dog in the long run. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I mean, you back to what you were talking about earlier about being so windy in yeah. Wyoming. You know, you couple that with the cold and the, the wet and then the wind. I mean, that's just the wind's brutal on a dog. I mean, absolutely yeah. brutal. Yeah. So, yeah, vest is a key piece of equipment. Sure. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And we, um, and we did a blog. I, I wrote a blog on that particular vest. Um, I don't know, a year ago, something like that. And uh, that's a pretty popular one for us. So we'll make sure that you check that one out over there at the at wingman.us, and you can get a more of an in-depth look at that. But so what do you have? I've seen some. I've seen some stir around some new stuff you guys have got coming out. One of the things that guys are talking about is that is that bucket caddy. Oh yeah, that thing because we use those Yeti buckets like it's our job out here. Yep. And that bucket caddy that you made, tell me about that, man. Well, I mean, it's made for a waterfowler. I mean. A guy that's going to train his dogs. I mean, it holds a bunch of bumpers, stuff like that in it. I mean, and it's great for hunting, you know, sitting on the duck hunt. We've got, you know, put a bunch of shells. We designed the pockets just to fit several boxes of shells and a big old thermos holder for your coffee. And, I mean, it's been a huge hit. In fact, we're already out of them. <laughs> we got, Good for you. There's more coming. I just, you know, the, the, the dilemma of a new product is you don't, really know how many to make you don't ever know how many to make so you swing for the fences and flop and then you discount them at the end of the year right right <laughs> in a hot one though this has been a real real good one so um we got more coming but they no, sold cool cool that's that's awesome dove hunters. i was gonna say i see the dove guys just going crazy about something like that especially oh, yeah. I mean, we use ours, we use those Yeti buckets. I mean, five-gallon buckets, but we use the Yeti buckets a lot, too. And we strap them to our Everly stock pack frames, the F1 mainframe pack. Okay. And you can haul it in. Then it's more like, it's almost turns out like a trapper's basket. And you can put extra clothes in there and all, I mean, whatever you want. You can put birds in there at the end of the day. You haul that thing back in, and not only do you have your storage, but you've got a seat. Mm-hmm. 
And man, I think if you coupled that setup with that caddy that you guys designed, man, I that'd be my go-to rig anytime I was going duck hunting where I'm not in a blind, you know. Yeah. Or yeah. in a maybe in an A-frame or something like that. But if I mean, you know, a lot of what we do is, you know, little brush blinds or hunkered down and using natural cover in an area. Mm-hmm. And so you're not in a really established blind sometimes, but right. no, that is cool. How, I mean, how did you come up with that idea? Well, so, I mean, we use the Yeti buckets too. And I just thought, man, this would be cool if you had a, you know, Yeti makes a, a, a wrap similar, but it's right for utility for you know, screwdrivers and, um, pliers and stuff like that, you know, even fishing equipment, fishing tools, cramps and stuff like that. But we wanted to build one that was specific for hunting. And so just with the thought of a box of shells, your thermos, the kind of essentials that you want at your fingertips when you're sitting in an A-frame, um, you know, or sitting in the brush on the edge of a slough or something like that, you know, that was just had it all right there. Somewhere to put your empties and you got your lunch and stuff in the bucket and so just kind of turned a, a bucket into a blind bag. That was really kind of my thought process. It was was you know how do you turn a bucket into a blind bag? Sure, sure. That's kind of what we did. Well, I think you hit a home run with it. I, obviously, you you don't have any more to. You're out and you're getting more. So I mean, I think you you've done well with that one. So congratulations. That's a home run. Well, thank you. What do you have? Uh, what do you have on the docket for this fall? What are you looking at for hunts? So, well, I mean, I go to Canada, you know, at least once or twice every year, and that's doesn't look half. You know, right. Half, you know. um, I had to always go to Alberta and hunt with my buddy Rob Reynolds up there, Ranchland Outfitters. Of course, they're shut down. Um, was going to go to the Delta Marsh this year. Um, so that literally today got the email that that hunt has been been postponed to whatever in 2021 um so we're, i'm just gonna hit the road and go stateside i'm gonna hunt oklahoma texas which i've never hunted neither of those two states i'm gonna come back through and uh through missouri just jump in the woods there with my uh, jeff watt good friend sales rep he's got you know some great flooded timber there and in uh in missouri and I don't know, probably go down to Arkansas and Louisiana, just kind of just hit the road. I told, I told my wife, I was like, and she's like, yeah, I, that sounds like a great idea. Just hit the road for like two weeks, maybe three. Oh. <laughs> that like, poor lady, that poor lady. <laughs> time we met, this is the most we've ever been together in one period of time during this COVID thing. Cause she was in college in Florida and I was in North Carolina. We were commuting and then it was, you know, got married and had kids and I had a job on the road. It was a, you know, highway crew doing big highway projects. And, and we just always had this like periods of together and then I'm gone traveling, you know, and rig them right. I travel a lot for work and, you know, going overseas. And, but like, this has been, you know, months and months and months together. It's like, honey, I think I'm going to go hunt for a few weeks. This much is like, absolutely. Sounds like a <laughs> one less kid to pick up after <laughs> there you go there you go oh man i love the fact you said two or three weeks that, that it's like it's gonna be two or three months <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah i we're i'm 
getting my wife and I are getting ready to have our our third child. We're having a little boy here any day. I mean, oh, wow. literally any day. And she's kind of in the same boat. Like, yeah, as long as you're there for a couple of days, and then go hunting. Get yeah. get out of that. You know, get out of the house. Get out of my hair. You know, one of those things. But no, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, it, that COVID this year's just everybody I talk to is you know Canada trips are squashed. Um, our turkey season got turned on its ear because there, nobody knew what was going on. We had plans in different states and nothing ended up working out and that's fine but i tell you what if you find yourself needing a place to go in january or february give me a call man come on out to wyoming we'll put you on some birds that'd be awesome yep yep as long as you're out you know the wife's kicked you out of the house and you're out running around yeah stop by (laughs) i'm gonna make a couple i'm gonna make a couple of runs in fact i'm i'm probably in late september I'm gonna drive, do kind of a more northern route. Okay. Go Minnesota, Wisconsin, all the way to North Dakota, hunt which I hadn't hunted in North Dakota in years. So I'm gonna be up there and probably making a little two week run up through that part of the country, and then back in in November, right before Thanksgiving, I'm gonna go two weeks to to the Oklahoma, Texas kind of first run I was talking about. So. Cool. That's kind of plan right now. Good for you. What do you guys have there locally, North Carolina? I mean, I'm, if you're on the coast, you probably got some decent sea duck hunting later in the year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, redheads, bluebills, really big in our county. Um, you know, in the big open marsh um, areas, and then inland, uh, the rivers. The Maswoodah was a river rat growing up. I ran the Tar River and the Pamlico River and uh, Roanoke River. That was kind of my how I cut my teeth waterfowl hunting um, and then hunting Lake Mattamuskee area around, you know, Hyde County. It's just, you know, a little bit of everything there from hunting, you know, big open lake to salt marsh to, you know, potholes and then flooded, you know, ag fields, impoundments and stuff. So uh, now I'll do that some too, you know, on the weekends when I'm here, I usually reserve my waterfowl hunt in North Carolina to, you know, late December, January. I mean, that's sure. when it's going to be the best. And just kind of now that I'm in the industry, I have so much opportunity in, you know, September, October, November, in places where it's a lot better. Um, I have no, I don't have much desire to, to get in a duck blind in North Carolina in September. Uh, the mosquitoes will carry you I away. I <laughs> and bet. the fish is too good to sit in a duck blind and shoot a few teal uh, and get eaten by mosquitoes. And bit by a snake or you know, yeah. run an alligator out of your blind. I mean, it's just too many, too many critters that time of the year. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> thanks. No, thanks. Yeah. We're looking at the end of October for us. Um, we don't open anything up here till October 3rd. And honestly, I would be okay if our game and fish said, you know what, we're going to give you like the first 10 days of September to shoot some of those teal that we always get a cold put cold snap at the end of August, first part of September, it seems like, and then it gets nice again. And it always pushes in birds, you know, whether it's usually blue wing teal. Right. Um, and there's, like I said, there's not a lot of area, but there's enough marshy area that those areas and those rivers do, we do get pushes of birds. And most guys are hunting big game, you know, but man, it would be so cool to have that 
like the first through the 10th of September and then shut us down until Thanksgiving. Yeah. We just don't see a ton of birds. I mean, we get migrants and we get stuff like that, but the really good hunting for us is definitely November through, through, through February. So I'm with you. I know what you mean. It's kind of like a a lot of big game stuff, you know, and, and us being affiliated with Eastman's, of course, being our parent company, that's big game central for us. I mean, that's where our focus is in their first part of the season. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I love deer hunting too. So, oh, yeah. I, hunting in general, you know what I mean? I just, seems like everybody I talk to, if they, you know, like you make their spot, make their living in one space in the industry, but they love to hunt just about everything. Right. You know, and, and that's, that's where, that's where I'm at too. You know, it's like, you have any big game plans then? Um, so one of the guys I'm gonna hunt with from Texas told me to bring the rifle when I come out. So probably hunt. I'm gonna try to get a whitetail in Texas or and then also in Oklahoma. So no firm plans, but I'm definitely taking the uh, 270 mag. There you go. On my duck trip. There you go. There you go. You were talking about the duck commander. I think uh, one of the, my most vivid memories from the early days of those videos, I think it was Duckman four and he shoots that doe whitetail out of the duck blind running through the water and just cartwheels her. I know. Awesome. I, I bet I wore that VHS cause that, I mean, okay. I'm dating myself there, but I bet I wore that thing out. Rewinding oh, yeah. it and watching that over and over and over again. Oh, I'm um, absolutely. We had the whole series at our <laughs> Yeah, day. we did too. I mean, just watch them on repeat. I think it was, I can't remember if it was two or three talked about the one running gun. Yeah. That was a good one. It was a real, yeah. very close I just, one th- those videos were kind of like, it seemed to me like we look, we look at where we are now with YouTube and, and you know, what we do with, with YouTube and social media and all that stuff. And man, it seemed like those videos and, and some of the older stuff, some of the, you know, Primos and, those guys were just laying down stuff back then that was kind of, especially Duck Commander, man. I just think back on that. It's like we watched those videos all the time. Absolutely. And, and it seemed like it was like you'd get together with a group of guys, and if duck season was closed, that's what you were watching anyway was, that, was that stuff. My little girl, I mean, I've got two little girls. My oldest daughter, she was – she would say, I'll watch Duck Commander. I'll watch Duck Commander. <laughs> Duck Commander videos. <laughs> I know it. I know it. Yeah, it was funny. I remember when Duck Dynasty came out. I was like, have you seen these guys? Have you seen these guys? I'm like, man, I've been watching those guys for years. Way before they were famous, you know. Right. They were famous to me. They were famous in the industry. I mean, yes. that first show we ever did where we took 100 packs of decoy anchors to Wisconsin to the DU Expo. Yep. That's where I first met those guys. There's a line a mile on to get, you know, an autograph from Phil Robertson. And I mean he was he was a superstar in our industry for sure. Yeah. Yep. It was, you know, many years after that before Duck Dynasty yes. you know, became a thing. Right. So, no, abs- absolutely. I think he he signed a hat for me at that show that you're talking about. I don't remember what year it was, but it was way, I mean, they were, he was famous. There are no such thing as Duck Dynasty. It was like the same time period you're talking about. Yeah. And I, I still have that hat. You know, I've 
re I've tra I've resharpied his signature so it's darker, you know. Right. Uh, I've still got it. It's tucked away in a box of memorabilia, you know. But I wore that thing hunting for years and years and years. Yeah. But yeah, buddy. I mean, yeah, that's cool. So you met those guys at the DU show in Wisconsin, then. That's right. Yeah. What year was what year was that? Two thousand seven, maybe. Okay. 2006, okay. 2007, kind of around in there. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was very interesting how that worked out. You know, it was awesome. And then, I, I guess it was the next year I was headed somewhere and was going through Monroe, Louisiana, and stopped in and hung out and just sat right in, you know, Phil's living room and and just had a conversation, drank coffee. I mean, he's just so full of wisdom, you know, and he just was sure. giving me life wisdom and and career wisdom and i it was just it was incredible and i tell people that like are you serious you sat in his living room i'm like yep that same living room you see on buck dynasty yeah it was it was awesome i i and i mean the whole crew down there john godwin i mean he's you know he was kind of the decoy guy um for them and the equipment dude and you know he's a great friend i mean he is just one of the finest human beings that i've ever met in the industry and um anyway he, they just were a lot of help i can't thank those guys enough for what they did for me when we were just you know me and my wife slinging lead out of our garage you know? yeah <laughs> so yeah i'll bet those early years for you guys were looked pretty interesting you know i remember i had um jim longquest on oh two week two weeks ago now and he was kind of telling some stories about when he first started Right, like an outfitting, and him and his wife, and trying to put it all together and make ends meet. And I'm, you know, everybody that's everybody that's that's done what you've done, and are in are doing has similar stories when it comes to that stuff. You know, because it doesn't just you don't just start with a big office and trucks and it's you started that you built this thing with your, you know, probably out of a garage or something. I mean, hundred percent. I mean, my. You know, up until we literally just hired a full-time uh, warehouse uh, manager. My wife did that. I mean, last year, my wife built every single shipment that went out the back door, rig them right. I mean, building pallets, running the forklift, loading trucks, unloading trucks. Um, I mean, it was, it's, and that's hard work. I mean, 50-pound boxes of lead all day. You know? Oh, man. And, the, the my, you know, my daughters, we spent, I mean, we spent, Thanksgiving holiday fixing product that was faulty or relabeling something that was mislabeled or I mean we got a shipment of goose flags that were <laughs> the handle wasn't even glued on oh man giant shipment heading to Bass Pro it was like the first you know big order we got for this new goose flag and we spent it was I guess it was Labor Day weekend because it's about this time of the year, me, my wife, and both daughters, little assembly line, one of them unpackaging, gluing, drying them, repackaging, all weekend to get you know, a thousand goose flags fixed. You know, so <laughs> wow, it's, it's definitely been a family experience. I mean, I've taken the kids to shows, and I mean, they can tell you about you know all the products, and they love to hunt, and so it's been yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy. And you're right. We didn't, you don't just start big, you know, it's 
takes a long time to get there and a lot of hard work and and a lot of breaks too you know we've had lords open up a lot of doors for us that weren't like we weren't expecting you know usually you get a door slammed in your face you're like oh my gosh it's the end of it and then a better one opens you know you're like well thank goodness you know because we were about to walk through that door before it got closed you know so it's been (laughs) i I often tell people i'm like really if i would have had a camera crew follow me around we'd have made a whole lot more money from that Rick them right. Oh <laughs> it's just been a forklift breakdown right when a truck pulls into the dock, oh. loaded, and you're like, now nah, what do we do? I mean, it's just been, it's been crazy, and it's still that way. I mean, we're not we 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 do a good job, you know. Even a well-oiled machine breaks down, you know. Sure, sure. Once in a while. <laughs> oh man, that's. You know, you said something about the Lord opening doors, and and I have. It's amazing in life whether if you're paying attention, you, what you just what you just said is so true. I mean, it's like the right people come into your come into your life at the right times and help you spawn success. Um, I mean. I can't even imagine some of the things that you, some of the conversations you and your wife have had where you go back, you look back at things after a year or six months and go, can you imagine if we'd have done that? Or can you oh, imagine really? if it would have, and, and it would have changed the trajectory of your company and your life. And yeah, I, that you, that faith component to, to life is so huge, so important. And I think, you know, that's one that I, I love, you know, I'd love to hear you say that because that I think that's so huge. And you obviously had a connection there probably with the duck commander too on that, on that level. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm betting that's, yes. that's, that's a God thing, man. That doesn't just happen, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That is cool. But, oh goodness. What's, um, I'm sure you can't give away any secrets, but what are you working on for 2021? Just in a vague way, maybe. Yeah, so we're, um, let me, let me just kind of, hey, a reminder just came up that I got a podcast. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> handy. What the heck? It's uh, 45 minutes late. That's handy. Oh, me. Anyway, um, so yeah, we're working on uh, some blinds. We've got some new layout blinds we're working cool. on. We got one that's probably going to roll out here kind of mid-season. Um that we've been working on it's uh for a while now for years um it's really cool it's gonna be a very 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 cool concept um so we got that and you know this with rolling out a lot more products in optifade in the gore optifade patterns sure. um sure. you know some products are kind of new some are you know staple waterfowl items that you know maybe aren't currently available in optifade so we're doing some of that um and yeah, that's it. You know, we found our niche in in the accessory game. You know, we feel like we make good stuff that for you know very waterfowl specific, uh, very intentionally designed for whatever waterfowl application. And um, so we're doing on some of that, and then we're you know doing more stuff in mossy oak bottomland, um, some kind of southern stuff. So, but mostly in the accessory stuff, and then the blinds. But nothing 
ultra top secret that we can talk about right sure now. sure <laughs> oh, i'm excited to see i'm excited to see your blind that's one of those things that we put through the paces out here a lot um and we've been we've been starting to make the switch to a frames like a lot of guys have you know over the last couple of years but we still have enough the stuff we're hunting we're still able to hide layouts pretty pretty good especially along edges We've got a lot of stuff that we can hide. You know, it seems like a lot of a lot of the ag ground we hunt has really brushy edges to it, and or not brushy is the wrong word, but uh, we got a plant called kosha that's just you. Know, you could hide an army of dudes and lay out blinds with that stuff. Yeah. And if if you can get an edge along a ditch, a lot you know everything's irrigated out here. And if you can grab an edge with a ditch with some kosha or some other other kind of brush, right you can hide layout blinds like crazy out here yeah. and corn stubble too you know you're still able to hide it pretty good in in corn stubble so i'm that'll be cool man that'll be cool i look i'm looking forward to seeing that yeah for sure that'll be neat so what uh um oh i just had a complete just had a complete brain fart but your you guys coded your decoy anchor systems this year too Right, yeah, that's a uh, steel cable, right? Uh, coated steel cable, so it's, it's a nice product. Um, you know, we've had people ask what what's the deal with you know uh, a six ounce weight and a you know one and a half pound decoy? Do you need a steel cable? But the cable has less memory than monofilament, so right. for a guy that likes to time in a knot, like the longer ones and stuff, it's um, you know it just provides that. Um, less memory than monofilament do you hear guys um when it comes to that coated steel cable i like the toughness of it i really do i i th it's i like being able to rig up my stuff at the beginning of season and minimal maintenance you know you're you're going every day or every other day and you're using stuff hard putting it away and waterfowling is hard on equipment oh yeah it's just wear stuff out and that coated steel cable seems to just Day in and day out. I mean, yeah, you're gonna have your stuff's gonna happen, right? But man, that that thing seems really, really tough. But one of the questions that I've had guys ask is, um, do they ever have problems with ducks seeing it? And I know for for a lot of guys, they're hunting in water that's murky; they can't see the bottom of it, so that's a non-issue. But for guys, a lot of what we hunt is that's it's trout; it's a trout stream right and so that water's clear i've never personally had ducks react that i could tell negatively to to decoy cords visible decoy cords right you, have you ever heard that argument or come I across mean, that most, i guess what we hear most is people you know say something about you know our line is brown or black um and they ask about clear well my, my I don't like clear line because if you're in, I mean, clear line, if, if all the line is hidden under the water, okay, whatever, it doesn't matter. But if the right. black is fine too. The problem is if you go throw some decoys in, you know, you got 30 inch lines and you throw them six inches of water or a foot of water and that line is sticking up out of the water, that clear looks terrible. I mean, it does not look natural, but uh, the black line, well, it's just a twig. Right. I mean, it looks, I mean, a duck's not going to say, wait, what is that, you know, black, thing in front of that decoy right and he's just gonna think it's a twig but the clear with the sun hitting it and it's glowing i mean that's just 
that's my thought. So. Yeah, yeah, no, it's interesting. Like I said, all, everything we're hunting out here when it comes to floaters is, if it is if it is early season, it's the water's murky. You, right. You're not gonna you're not gonna you're, they're not gonna see it. But yeah, the the streams themselves, the rivers that we hunt are get get pretty clear by January and February. Right. But they're rocky bottomed most of the time. Yeah. And so I don't think they can see that cord. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that they can see it. Yeah, can they see through the water? You know, are they just looking at the surface of the water? I mean, are their eyes, you know, you almost have to, if you're looking, you can look at the surface of the water and you can choose to kind of focus your eyes through the water. I don't know right. what they're looking at. You know, if they're looking at the yeah. decoys and the bank and, right you know, they're scoping out the whole area i just can't imagine that a duck is trying to look under the decoy to see if they just yeah i would, everything is valid i mean it's a valid question yeah yeah i like i said i don't think it makes a bit of difference but i've had guys that we've hunted that i've hunted with be like oh, can't they see those black lines and i'm like um if they can the Hundreds and hundreds of them that I've shot, they yeah. couldn't see them, yeah, or they didn't care. So, yeah, I don't know, but it's just a question I've had guys ask, and I'm like, yeah, I honestly, I don't think it matters. Yeah, I, I, I don't, don't think it matters. Think it matters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you guys start, when you guys start shooting down there, how much of that? How much of your stuff in you're hunting big water? I'm, I'm assuming that's like brackish water, half part yeah, salt. Yeah, brackish or salt. Straight up salt. Yeah, I mean, this like we're so I live in the southern outer banks. So sure. you've got you know the ocean, just the mainland. You got about half a mile, and then you're on a little strip of islands, and then on the other side of the islands is the ocean. So it's the barrier islands, North Carolina, um, and there's there's inlets all in between. So but the 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 area between the islands and the mainland is all salt marsh. And that water just flows. I mean, it's all tidal and everything. It, and you're, I mean, literally right at the ocean. It's salt water. And it's, so you're shooting bluebills and redheads and you get a few canvasbacks and stuff in, in the salt. But the, we shoot mallards and pintail and widgeon in, in the brackish water, you know, a little further inland. Well, I mean, you'll shoot them in the salt water too. That's one thing about North Carolina. We have, you don't ever know what you're going to get into when you go out. That's, you know, we don't have the most ducks. You always have your days, but it's not like other places that I get to go to and hunt. Um, but you just mix bag. I mean, it's it can be I mean, black ducks to wood ducks to pintails to widgeon teal mallards in any given day. Gadwall mix in a redhead or a bluebill. I mean, it's which is kind of cool, you know. But um, so yeah, I mean they're. People hunt inland too, and ponds and stuff. Sure, North sure, Carolina sure, lakes, sure. But kind of, I'm Eastern North Carolina. Well, yeah. and, and the reason I ask that is when I think of when I think of hunting where you know where you are, I think of exactly what you just described. You know, those salt marshes, those you're hunting salt water, um, similar similar, I guess, to the Chesapeake Bay north yeah. north of you. I mean, just historically very very impactful and important places for duck hunting i mean it's old been around a long time and i Absolutely. think that's one of the things that i love the most about waterfowling is 
you can do it just about anywhere. Yeah. It's it's insane. You know, you talk you talk to you, you're hunting in, in North Carolina, and we're out here in Wyoming. Talk to guys uh Ryan Bassham, talked to him a few weeks back, and he's talking about killing birds in Nevada, you know, oh. New Mexico and places that you'd think, wow, that's like arid desert. But they even have ducks that are very specific to them. Oh, you yeah. can't find any other any place else. I having the ability to go to any place in the country and hunt ducks for the most part is fascinating to me and all the different ways of doing it. Yeah. I hunted Nevada a few years ago and it was just one of the coolest experiences. I mean, it was, it was incredible. I mean, you're hunting basically snow melt that runs off the back, I guess the Sierra Nevadas and flowed out into the desert, but it's, it pulls up and it's a giant marsh, but all the driving out there, I'm like, tumbleweed blowing by and dust winds or whatever the heck you call them and i'm like are we going duck hunting are we really going (laughs) and sure enough i mean it was just incredible it was so wild but it was a neat experience but you're right i mean it's like places you don't think would be great duck hunting florida i mean they'd smash them in florida right yeah people don't realize there's great duck hunting down there so yeah, I've got a buddy that that kind of grew up down there in the Panhandle, and he said, "Man, looking back now, I wasted some awfully good duck hunting right there on the beach." He said, "Good grief!" He said, "I've been, I've gone back and done it since." But he said, "Man, we had ducks all over the place, and we didn't, we weren't smart enough to think about it." I, he said at the time, but he said, "You know, I, he said goes back every year and does that with buddies down there." Right. It's just, it's amazing, you know. You go different places, but so what? You know some of the, some of the places you like to hunt. I mean, you obviously get to you get to go around. Canada was big for you on your list, but I mean, what do you get excited about every fall coming up that you look at and go, "I'm excited for that hunt, hunting in that place." Yeah, shooting uh, shooting mallard ducks in a field is that's my number one. That's my number one. I love timber hunting would be a close second, but I think growing up in North Carolina, I never ever in my life still to this day have never seen a duck land in a dry field in north carolina and we got corn for days ag everywhere big old lakes where they're roosting they just i don't know why but they won't hit a dry field i mean you'll i'm not not counting tame ducks at the golf course you know that are sure (laughs) sure migrating ducks i do not know why and I'd always seen those videos and heard about it and stuff, shooting them in a field. And of course, the first time I got to do it, it blew me away. And I still love it. I still love, especially in the snow, like late season, northern Alberta, in the snow, green heads. Oh my gosh, that is, that's my number one. Number two, close would be shooting them in the timber. That's pretty cool too. And third would be shooting uh, snow geese. I love snow goose hunting. Love it. They drive you crazy, though. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason they call them the White Devil. Oh, oh man! But I, I, I do like snow geese hunting. I love it. It's anyway. No, that's that's so cool. Yeah, that. So I jumped the gun right there. I, that's usually a question that that I save right for the very end of the podcast, and I ask, you know, if you could only hunt one bird one way, what's it going to be? And you just answered it: mallards in a dry field, yeah. but. 
that's one more reason. One more reason you need to swing out to Wyoming this year because that's a lot of what we end up doing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. We we hammer that. We hammer. We're we're lucky. You know, we hunt a lot of Montana and and Wyoming, and we're close where we are. But yeah, I I'm with you. That man, there's something about a big spin of mallards, a big tornado of mallards, especially if you can get them where. I mean, I like, I don't like shooting into those big groups, but I like watching them work, wow. you know, I, and the best is when you're limited out, you've got little groups, you know, you know, whether it's threes, fours, or even tens, dozens, maybe even fifteens or twenties, and you're shooting into those trying to pick out those green heads, filling out, and then the big wad comes yeah. and you just lay there or in ideally you're picked up already. Right. And you're sitting at the trailer just watching the show. Oh, there's I'm with you, man. That sound, this, oh. the, this, the sound of their wings tearing the air, the hens doing the feeding chuckle. I mean, just mm. I, uh, this is gonna be it. This is it. This is it. And they come in and pick back up again. Like, I know next, the next pass, and then and the next, and I mean, the poor guy's got to call the shot, you know, where especially you got like eight guys in the field. Yeah. Where everybody get a shot is uh exciting. So we yeah. we filmed one for YouTube oh, a couple years ago. I think it's called um Duck NATO or Duck Tornado. And that was exactly right. You know, you're we we've got five to six thousand birds working this cornfield and you're getting on the tail end of it, you're getting all these little groups, but you know, they come line up on you and the guy goes to call a shot and they've side slipped the spread. <laughs> it's like, it's maddening, you know, and they like, this is it. This is it. They center you up. And then at the last second, they veer off to one side and there's only like two dudes can get any shooting. Right. So they swing and they swing and they swing and they swing and they swing. And finally they do it right. And they're right in your lap and you pop open and just bust them. And oh. Well, and no, I'm, you sound you hunt like I do. You want to get the right shot. I mean, right. yes, somebody can you can shoot birds, but I would rather take the chance on a flock of geese or ducks or whatever. Get out, you know, you never even get a shot at them than like take a crappy shot. Just be right. patient, try to finish them right over the decoys. And if we don't get to do that, well, that's okay, you know, right? I'm okay with that. I want for me, that's the whole point, yeah. And I'm, I'm with you for me, that's the point. I want to finish those birds as good as they're going to be able to do it, you know, and there, there's situations too, where does it, finishing them is the, the best you're going to be able to do on them. Maybe a low glide over your decoys and that's right. as good as you're going to get. Yeah, for sure. And it, man, knowing how to tell the difference between this is as best we're going to get or let them work, you know, yeah. let them, let them do their thing. It's, uh, the hunt in the river here for ducks is if that's the way it is they're either right let just right in your decoys don't even swing maybe make one big loop and bam they're landing in your decoys or they're swinging through and gliding by giving you a look and they keep right on going right and so it's it some of those days are hard when 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 you're kind of i guess trying to work birds that don't really want to be worked they've mm. got trying to give talk them into giving up and that can be tough that can be tough but i'm with you let them 
I, I don't know how many times it's been like oh, one more, one more. And yeah. there they go. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Hang on, and then there's always the one buddy. Man, I knew we should have called it. That right. over left side. Oh, isn't that yeah. the truth? Like yeah, you screwed things. that up. And it's like, nah, there'll be more. Just be patient. Just be patient. Oh, goodness. That is that's good stuff. But so cornfield or field mallards in general. But yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. That is definitely a passion of mine. I kind of grew up doing that, being able to hunt them in sloughs and different areas. But man, when we could find them in a grain field, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I, I love that. Now, do you, you talk about going to Montana. Do you, um, in Wyoming, where you're at, do you have the kind of the skinny water mallards and stuff too? Do you have like hot springs in your we, area? Or? We do. We do. One of the places that we hunt a lot um, is south south of us. And when it gets super cold, and I'm talking 20 below, 25 below, 30 below zero, if you're if you're still gonna hunt ducks, that's where you go. There's right. a spot down there that's a bunch of hot springs, and that will temps like that will push our birds out because it'll freeze up a lot of what they're on, mm-hmm. and it'll push a lot of those birds out. But they don't go real far. They go down to this hot springs area, and that's where you got to go. And mm-hmm. I've had some unbelievable days hunting those. Hunting those hot spring seeps or hunting uh, the river itself down in that area where the hot springs are it keeps uh, the, those hot springs keep that river open a lot longer, a lot better than some of the others that that are just free stone, free running. Yeah, it can be good. I mean, you can get down there and oh man, you're setting up in the dark and all you can't even hear your buddy talking to you because there's so many birds talking oh, and flying yeah. around. And I had. A couple of years ago, I went down there. It got real cold, and all you talk about being at shows. All the guys, all the guys here in the office were at Shot Show, and they left me behind. And I was like, "That's fine, I'll go hunting." <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was either it's either Shot or it might have been ATA. It was one of those two. It doesn't matter. But I went down. It was the end of goose season. Duck was closed for us, and I got down there and I was using my drift boat to float down the river to a spot I could set up on in the dark and i floated into this flock of golden eyes common golden eyes that i don't know how many hundred birds were in it but they kept pushing down pushing down pushing down they finally got to a spot they want and they turned and they flushed up upstream against the current and they flew right into my right into my boat and they're i'm filming it with my phone and they're bouncing off me hitting my dog hitting the boat at one point, I had six common golden eyes flopping around in my drift boat. Good gracious. And my dog's like catching them. I'm like, no, no, no. Duck season's closed. <laughs> <laughs> you got to leave them be, bud. And he's he's pretty good boy, and he he didn't hurt them. But we're pick, I'm picking them up, and I'm throwing them back in the river. And oh, my gosh. But that's an example of you go down there when it gets super cold because everything else is – no, we got some spring-fed ditches and stuff here that have some some hot spring activity that'll stay open. And when it gets that cold, I'm usually looking for one of those field hunts. Mm-hmm. You know, those birds those birds want to hit that grain in oh, the yeah. middle in the middle of the day. 
and when at the warmest part of the day and you can have some amazing shoots you ever do the feed lot thing yeah a couple of spots um you can get into some feed lots and there again when it gets really cold or the snow gets real deep Mm -hmm. or they can't get out in a cornfield or whatnot they'll hit those feed lots and that's a total crapshoot because you'll either you'll either get a yes or a no you know there's no there's either yeah you can shoot around those cows not going to bother them or no you're not shooting around my cows right and when you can hit it right yeah it can be it can be full just lights out yeah i did that uh a few years ago in montana for the first time and we we did good we pounded them we just set up on a little the snow was deep real deep when we mm-hmm. were out there we just set up on a little hill just right outside the feedlot and you know those birds were going into the feedlot and then but they would always come out and kind of circle around see what we were all about you know and we we did really good was, but the dog didn't like it very much because a lot of those a lot of the a lot of those ducks are covered in poop <laughs> so it's all like, He's like, I spit this dog out. Yeah, I don't, that's pretty <laughs> nasty. We realized we're like, oh my gosh, no, don't pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go put that dog back in the truck. Oh man. Yeah, we had we had that same thing happen last year at the end of our goose season. We got a bunch of snow. Mm-hmm. And it was the point where they were I saw birds landing out in the sagebrush because it was like a sagebrush hill that was blown free of snow and they could get, they could just sit out there and they didn't have to sit. You know, the snow was literally like two and a half, three feet deep and you could not get rigs into fields. You just, you weren't hunting. And the only place to hunt those birds was in those feedlots because that's where they wanted to be. Anywhere there was cows, there was geese and ducks. And it was, I know. Yeah. It can be really good when it's like that. It can be really good, but yeah, it's, it seems like for every one that I get permission to hunt, I get four or five others that are like, nope, not hunting around my cows. Yeah, okay, I get that. Yeah, I get it too. I get it too, but I still ask. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I still ask. <laughs> I know it's a, my philosophy is it's the worst they're going to say, no. That's right. Well, I've been told no my whole life, so yep. <laughs> I'm a big boy. We can deal with that. <laughs> That's right. Oh, goodness, goodness. Well, yeah, the offer stands, man. If you get out this way and or decide you want to make a trip, come on out. Bring some of those new layout blinds and let's do something. Okay. Do some more testing. All right. I love it. I love it. Matthew, it's been great having you on. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. And uh, hope I hope that we can get some blind time together one of these days. It'd be really cool. Absolutely. And uh, have a great fall. Good luck and uh, stay healthy. Well, cool. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for thank you for being on. Appreciate it, man. All right. Take care. Bye bye.